Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. number one issue confronting higher education today. Campuses are now hotbeds of discontent. Students are sitting in, protesting questionable speakers on campus. State elected officials are dismantling diversity, equity, and inclusion programming. Reporting on the state of speech on campus describes a series of ominous trends. Many students say they prefer to avoid conversations on any issue that could be controversial. Students, especially conservative students, report self-censoring in the classroom. They say they're fearful of reprisal from their peers or even of their faculty. And at the big picture level, these reports point to a worrying trend. But what is being done to address the campus free speech woes? Welcome to Democracy Matters. I'm your co-host, Kara Dillard, Interim Associate Director at the Madison Center for Civic Engagement and Professor in the School of Communication Studies here at James Madison University. And I'm Jason Whitted, co-host of Democracy Matters. I'm a senior pre-law and political science student at JMU with a minor in public policy and administration. I'm also a democracy fellow at the JMU Civic Center, where my job is to increase democratic engagement and awareness among students at JMU. The goal of the Democracy Matters podcast is to speak with academics, leaders, students, and practitioners about the importance of democracy in our world. All those articles and studies about student self-censorship aren't without challenge. New research and reporting have been debunking, if not outright disproving, some claims made in studies about the lack of free speech, including questioning survey and methodology. The Chronicle of Higher Ed summarized a few of these in 2021 noting a study from the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA. That study found that 8 out of 10 students from each ideological group, far left, liberal, middle of the road, and conservative, either agreed or strongly agreed that their institutions encourage them to have a voice and share ideas openly. From our own work in the Madison Center this past year, We wanted to take a deeper dive into this question of how universities can positively support democratic practices on campus, including cultivating spaces and quality opportunities for students to productively and positively talk with each other across differences. To help us answer this question, we reached out to Stephanie King, the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives for the All-In Campus Democracy Challenge. I know Stephanie from her previous stint as Director for Civic Engagement and Knowledge Community Initiatives at NASPA, where she directed the NASPA Lead Initiative and co-managed the Voter-Friendly Campus Program. She has contributed to a number of publications, including Effective Strategies for Supporting Student Civic Engagement and Higher Education's Role in Enacting a Thriving Democracy. Thanks so much for being here with us, Stephanie. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to talk with you all about how we can share in the joys of democracy. 
We also talked to two students. My name is Denise Brown. Um, I'm currently an international affairs major with an Asia Studies minor at James Madison. Um, I'm also in my junior year. Um, and I'm also from Waterford, Virginia, which is somewhere in um, Northern Virginia. And um, also I am the, I'm part of the JMU debate team. So that um, makes me a varsity debater as well as a JMU debate team captain and the president of the Madison Debate Society. So my name is Adonis Ortiz. Um, I'm currently a senior at James Madison University. I'm a double major in political science and international affairs with a minor in pre-law. Um, whenever it comes to re regarding extracurricular activities, I'm a part of the JMU debate team. And this is my second year uh, doing debate. Um, and I am a JV debater. Last year, I was a novice debater, which is like JV. There's novice, JV, and then varsity. Um, and it's been an amazing experience. Um, last year was JMU's most successful uh, year in JMU history. We won about six tournaments. Um, I won three tournaments and my teammates won a couple others and it was a really amazing year. We met Denise and Adonis through the JMU Intercollegiate Debate Team. These two are both average students, yet extraordinary in how they think about how classrooms can be spaces where students can engage in issues together productively. It's possible we could interview every student and every nonprofit leader and still not be able to paint a clear picture of why bridging divides and speaking on campus right now is so difficult. What this episode does highlight is two things. First, Students really do seem to be experiencing real discomfort in the modern college classroom when it comes to talking from different perspectives about difficult issues, and it's something we can't ignore. And second, universities do have options to address this. And it's why we're really glad Stephanie King is here with us today and highlighting the real and meaningful ways that universities can support these efforts. So we thought we'd start there, solutions. Stephanie, we know that JMU is a partner in the All-In Democracy Challenge, and that our university president, Jonathan Alger, is a big champion of All-In. What does All-In actually do? That's a great question, Jason. And so what All In is about is we are a nonpartisan 501c3 initiative of Civic Nation. And our goal is to help campuses institutionalize what we define as nonpartisan democratic engagement, being civic learning, political participation, and student voter engagement. We currently work with a reach of 963 institutions across all 50 states in the District of Columbia. And our hope is that these campuses are able to create campus coalitions, which are a variety of stakeholders that are able to hold up the pillars of nonpartisan engagement. We work with these campuses to create action plans that run a two-year cycle so that they can set goals, strategies, tactics, and as well as a commitment to lay the foundation for the work that they're doing, and then hopefully to evaluate, assess, and figure out next steps to engage for the next election cycle. We also look for all of our campuses to best understand their baseline data, which we are so thrilled to partner with the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education with one of their signature initiatives, the National Study of Learning, Voting, and Engagement. And then one of our ballet wagons is also to provide campuses with a plethora of opportunities for recognition. So all that to say, our goal is to hopefully work ourselves out of a job that these college campuses that we work with 
develop a campus culture that really promotes nonpartisan engagement, regardless of the election season that we're in. And as many would argue, we're always in an election season. And you all know that better in Virginia, that you tend to have elections at the federal and state level um, more often than others do, um, just based on how your state is situated. So you know that it's important for your your students to be engaged regardless of where they are in their political journey, um, whether they're just starting or they've been actively participating since they were eligible to pre-register at 16 or 17 and engaged in their first elections at 18. So that's, that's a big picture of what we do. And President Alger has always been a champion of our work, supporting you all in your engagement with All In since 2016. He now sits as the chair of our President's Council, which is a network of 15 senior leaders that guide a, a signatory page of 582 senior leaders across the nation. Again, all working to help campuses institutionalize nonpartisan engagement. Stephanie, I appreciate the need to institutionalize nonpartisan engagement. And I know All In has the idea that educating for democratic engagement should be an accepted and expected part of campus culture and curriculum. So from your perspective at All In, what is needed to foster this particular kind of learning about possibly partisan topics? That's a really great question, Kara. And I think part of our efforts is to really help people understand the ecosystem that higher education can thrive best in. And that for us is really leaning into the nonpartisan aspects of everyone has an opportunity, should they be a U.S. citizen, um, to engage in the electoral process, right? And if not, those non-citizens, DACA individuals, international students, and so forth, have the ability to engage in issue-based campaigns that support their values and initiatives, right? And so for us, if we're thinking about comfortability, like sometimes politics is uncomfortable. And that is something that we need to be able to lean into. And one of the tools that I know that James Madison has used and other campuses use is the dialogue and deliberation platform where there's not necessarily a right answer, right? Like communities have wicked problems and they that means that there's a variety of answers to those problems. Some might feel partisan while others feel intrinsic to community. And so trying to allow people the best set information as well as hard skills and soft skills to allow them to be in community with one another is, is what we're looking at. And part of that might be factors that we think are, are most helpful for campuses are making sure that you have diverse representation on your voting coalition so it doesn't skew in one direction or another, um, making sure that everyone has the wherewithal to understand the electoral process specifically within that state. And then also for college students that you have a choice whether you want to register at your home state or where the state of your institution is. So if you're from Virginia and you want to vote in Virginia, that's great. If you're from Maryland, but attending James Madison, like you could vote in Maryland and trying to figure that out. Um, so those are the factors that we're looking at. And then to make sure that it's not episodic, right? Like you're not just talking about voter registration upon entry to the institution, but you're talking about nonpartisan democratic engagement in a way that becomes a part of who you are, right? Like students enter and they know that they engage in all elections. They know that they can engage in issue-based campaigns. They know that they can reach out to their state and federal representatives, right? Um, and making sure that folks are, are able to do so in a way that truly aligns with who they are as people. And that's important. You mentioned, Stephanie, that politics is uncomfortable and that's something that colleges need to lean into. And one of the challenges that I hear my own faculty colleagues, but also as I read about it in different reports, one of the challenges that I hear faculty face, and, and, and sometimes I even experience it in my own classroom, is that students are unwilling to talk and they're less willing to engage with these kinds of difficult issues. I'm sure you've read the article in The Atlantic, which notes that students across all political views engage in this kind of self-censorship we've been talking about. 
Um, And it's almost 68% of conservative students censoring themselves, along with roughly uh, 49% of moderates and 24% of liberals. Students also develop negative stereotypes about their peers who have different beliefs than them. I find this so fascinating. And Denise, I'm glad that we have you here. So I'm going to turn to you and ask, do classrooms today feel dangerous? Do you really feel discouraged from speaking in your classroom? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that it feels dangerous to me. Um, however, it does feel rather awkward at times. Um, so that's, you know, usually how I feel about the subject. I feel like it's really um, just awkward in terms of like class discussions and um, other opportunities where I've had to speak in a, um, a aside from debate, a very normal uh, like classroom setting. Yeah, so um, I think in most class discussions in which I've been in, um, professors will mainly just open up the floor for discussion. They'll be like, okay, so, you know, what do we think? What's the goods about this issue? What are the cons about this issue? Um, so it's not necessarily, they don't necessarily introduce a, like a productive way to talk about it, but rather just ask about, you know, like the, the pros and cons. So it does feel rather awkward because it's like, okay, is this like more of just, you know, a factual perspective that I should be taking? Is this like more opinionated? Um, so it's, kind of hard to figure out where to start if you are the person leading the discussion. I've never felt explicitly discouraged. Um, Mainly if I do have any sort of discouragement, it is just kind of anxiety about um, opening up about, you know, views in the classroom. Um, But generally I've always felt, you know, very welcome to like participate and, you know, kind of clear up any awkwardness that there might be firsthand. Um, I feel like a lot of the fear um, circulates around other fellow peers because it's, you know, just kind of like, okay, we're we're in this setting where, you know, a lot of us are, you know, um, friends or, you know, we're looking to be a part of some sort of like social group within our class. So I think a lot of us do kind of seek some sort of approval from our peers. And, you know, I think politics um, on campus can be sort of like a very, you know, touchy subject for um, certain individuals. And, you know, we always, I think, you know, subconsciously want to make the best impression of ourselves onto other people. Adonis, how about you? Have you ever felt discouraged from expressing your views in the classroom? I do feel that there is a lack of, of diversity when it comes to ideas being portrayed in class like um and this is just from my own experience that i feel that a lot of maybe left leaning people talk more in classrooms um and which is okay which is great and i think you know it, it it's definitely good but you know it, it's not the full spectrum so sometimes I, I i tend to put myself in other people's shoes and i'm like I wonder why, you know, people who are on the other side of the spectrum or lean a little further away to the right don't seem to speak up. Um, And I think it's because generally for now we've kind of, I guess, uh, vilified things that come from the right. Um, So me inherently, I don't think it's ever felt dangerous. 
but I do understand why some people will seek not to speak out or feel uncomfortable with speaking out. Um, Cause there are some times where I don't want to speak out, but I just, I still do. Um, but it's just because I think in the classroom, it should be a free space, but it's the thing is it's, you know, the classroom is only a nine to five, I guess you can say with, you know, and you're going to have in class from nine to five, but spaces in between, but the real world exists in the majority of your life. So it's hard to, um, have that free space, but then also transfer that you don't have that free free space out in the real world. So I don't know if it feels dangerous, but I definitely do understand being uncomfortable with trying to share our opinions broadly in class. I'd like to ask you, Adonis, about the social media aspect of speech and your classroom experience. Can you talk a little bit more about that? No, of course. You know, that's an excellent question. I think that's one of those questions you can have hours of conversation of, but I think the biggest thing is that in class, it's it's more of a comfort. It's it's you have the you have the, the professor who's kind of leading the engagement, and you have all these different people here from that you may not know from you know different paths of lives engaging in a conversation. So it's kind of structured in a way for you to be comfortable and speak out and engage compared to social media. It's 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 kind of just like a free for all. And, you know, we have these these, you know, like the cancel like cancel culture. And and if you post something and someone disagrees with you, you're kind of going back and forth. You don't even know the person. And it leads to toxic traits like you may post something that you thought had one meaning, but other people took it as five different meanings. And that itself can blow up and lead to some kind of fear. Um, a fear, and I mean fear of like being called something, fear of being emanized, fear of being, you know, called racist or, or you know, uh, other names within that category um, because of things that you may say, which obviously there are things that fall in those categories, but there's also times when you're just sharing a political view that you inherently believe, but I feel like social media has no boundaries. There is no rules. There is no guidance. There is no professor leading the discussion that puts pause to a conversation when they feel that it's becoming less of a conversation and more of an argument. Um, Cause that because social media has no rules or boundaries, it becomes more arguments. It's more of I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. You're wrong. Compared to in classrooms, it's more, no one is right or wrong. We're just here to talk about what you think is what do you think is right, even though there is no inherently right or wrong answer? Um, so I think, you know, especially with my generation, social media is an amazing way to express yourself and share your ideas. But also social media is a way to shut down your ideas and not express your ideas because of the lack of boundaries. Um, I guess you can say like, you know, we, we say no filter. There is no filter when it comes to social media. Um, and I think that can that's that has its pros but definitely has its cons. Stephanie, and I, I want to turn to you and ask you about the Atlantic article. Um, one of the things that really struck me about the piece in the Atlantic is that a substantial minority of students aren't even interested in socializing with peers who hold different views. And you had mentioned earlier, and that's why I'm thinking about it, that campus dialogue and deliberation programs, or even programs that focus on teaching students that there isn't necessarily a right answer are really good options for campuses. 
But in reflecting on how Denise and Adonis have talked about how they experience the classroom today and some of what of what makes them feel anxious or fearful, but also maybe what excites them. Um, how should colleges implement these kinds of programs that encourage students to talk across divides? You know, that's that's a really, again, fascinating question, Kara. And I wish I had a crystal ball to be like, here's how we solve the world's problems, right? That's not the way that things are. And I think it's interesting because some of our institutions do have, you know, structured programs and services that they offer to their campuses where it might be upon orientation. They do a dialogue and deliberation forum as offered by, you know, classroom conversations or bridging the bridging the table or um, Niffy and Kettering's kind of model of dialogue and deliberation. And sometimes those structured pieces provide a space for people to talk about issues that might not be top of mind for them, right? Like talking about funding school systems or talking about gun safety or abortion rights, right? Like there's a lot of issue guides that help provide a structured process for people to go through. But that doesn't mean that it's hitting necessarily close to home when someone is having a personal issue that they're grappling with or political issue that they're grappling with that might be leaning to that self-censorship that the Atlantic is talking about. And I think the best thing that institutions can do from my perspective, and that might be a naive one, is to really live in John Dewey's, you know, ethos of life that we are living our democratic practices every day anew, right? Like you need to meet people where they are, whether that's in a classroom setting, whether that's, you know, walking down the quad, whether that's saying hello to your counterparts, it's trying to find people and understand that not everyone has the same political nuances, right? Not everything is black and white anymore, nor nor do I think it ever was, but we had a, you know, originally you might've put people into camps in different ways, but now it's like, we're all dealing with our own facade of how the world works. And if we can't meet people where they are to have these breakdowns of difficult conversations, then we do have a, a full-on cancel culture of not being able to reach one another, not being able to find commonality, not being able to reach a neutral decision that doesn't have to be left or right, but could be what is the pieces of each of those sides that we can take to help reach a solution that, that again, allows people to feel heard, to feel secure, to feel safe, and to feel like they are a part of a solution and having real talk and not needing to you know, put their best foot forward if they're just not in that moment in time, right? Um, so that's my best advice for campuses is really just meeting people where they are and not assuming that structured programs are the best solution, but they're an option to introduce hard skills for people to really have dialogue across difference. Denise, the opposite view of Stephanie's point here, that we can lean into differences to have productive dialogues about issues, is that we remove politics from classrooms. Is that even possible? Should college be devoid of politics? Um, I think for some people, this seems like some sort of uh, like almost like a utopian scenario in which, you know, the stressors of life are, you know, and politics itself are removed from um, learning places and other things like that. But I think ultimately, um, I don't think that politics, you know, this college should be devoid of politics because essentially um, no matter how much we try to escape it or to remove ourselves from it, we are so enveloped in politics because politics, you know, is something that, you know, affects our daily lives, how we're able to make decisions and how we're able to, you know, 
even like talk about certain things or, you know, uh, other things like that. I think that, you know, politics are essentially very important to, you know, how we learn and how we make our decisions um, in that sort of like area. I I am that kid. I'm that annoying kid that sits at the front and raises my hand every three seconds. Uh, sadly, I became that kid, but I, I love it um, because I think, you know, out in the real world, it's definitely harder to state your opinions um, because of the, you know, social media and also the insane uh, partisan that exists these days. Um partisan view. So setting my opinions in class to me, I love it because it's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging other people's views. It's also engaging in the conversation that professors bring up in class. Um, and it's, it's also allows me to be able to learn more because I may have one idea of what I think, you know, whatever the topic it may be. Um, I say it, someone else says something and I'm like, Oh, I never really looked at it that way. And it, they don't have to agree with me. They could outright disagree with everything I'm saying, but having these multiple different perspectives to me, that's the, the adrenaline rush because of like, I say something, they say something I'm like, Oh, okay. Then I learn from them and then I can change what I initially believed. And then from there, there you go, I gain more knowledge and then be able to spew that knowledge out in further conversations that bleed outside of, um, of outside of class and different conversations with people, but then also for debate, like the amount of things I've learned in classes that I was able to use in my debate career itself has been phenomenal. Um, so it's just like, for me, stating my opinions in classes, it's a sense of freedom for me. Um, like it's a sense of privilege that I'm able to express myself freely um, and state my beliefs, but not to affirm them, but more to like leave them open and for questioning. Um, and I think that's, to me, just really, really exciting. One challenge to universities' efforts to increase democratic engagement among students is an unwillingness from the students with differing political viewpoints to collaborate for relevant events and discussions. Stephanie, if this type of collaboration is vital for political engagement on campuses, how might we bridge those divides among students that prevent collaboration? That's a fascinating question, Jason, in that I think sometimes we assume the student ideology falls into the camp of red and blue, Republican or Democrat, instead of really understanding the whole human being that's coming to the space, right? Even in the ways our bylaws are basically set up, right? If you have Democratic representation, you need to have Republican representation on different committees. But also it's the where do you meet people where they are? And maybe it's leaning into the issues, right? Like, do you care about student loan forgiveness and affordability of education? And does that have to be red or blue? And the answer, I think, if you surveyed majority of students might not be red or blue if they had to align their political identity in addition to an issue-based campaign. And so I think it's really us trying to change the narrative of what is it that we want people to come together? Is it because we need to have a one-for-one representation of red and blue or Republican Democrat? Or is it that we need to have collaborations around issues and ideas? And would that garner a different type of respect or showing from students knowing that they're they're different, right? A lot of our programs and structures are set up at the foundation of our educational institutions, which is, you know, a hundred years ago. And I don't think the students that are at James Madison today are the same students that were there when the institution was founded. And so for us to think more 
moonshot in a way that allows that elaborative innovation would be helpful in bringing students together to find commonality in different ways and then lean into the political differences that they might experience or have or be nuanced within to then have collaboration in a different way. I also think that maybe it's time for us to reconsider the way that we align events and conversations. Like, does it need to be a one-for-one all the time? Or can there be spaces for individuals to lean into their political ideologies that don't need to be showmanship in the same way? Stephanie, why should students even desire bipartisanship? Should it be conceived as an end itself? I think as a person, we need to, one, do our own self-reflecting, right? Like, what is it that I bring to the experience? Like, how open am I to learning from others? How can I learn about and check my own biases before I enter into spaces? The same with my my own assumptions that I make about persons, culture, organizations, entities. So I can really lean into things with an open mind and open heart, if you will. And then to ask your peers the same questions. It translates, I think, Jason, a lot differently when a peer has a conversation with one another then when someone like myself or Dr. Dillard comes in and is like, all right, as a classroom assignment, we're going to do self-reflection. That just lands differently to the genuine experience of I'm trying to connect with someone. And so I think bringing your youth and honesty to the space is probably much more valuable than any textbook chapter I could possibly write, right? Like it's trying to bring the humanness to the experience. And that's what I think you as a young leader on your campus can really offer Um, to your peers, and then to lead by that example. For individual students like Adonis and Denise, or any other student listening, what actions can they take to promote an environment for free discussion? You know, I think that's, try not to be exclusive, right? I, I think there's a space for having individuals with the same ideals come together, but also trying to have an openness to this. I think the other thing that students should not do is to not be naive or salient when there's hate speech or fear mongering happening on campus, right? To be able to stand up for others, even if you don't fully believe in the group that's whatever is happening to, right? I think we can't be bystanders. And so, you know, considering bystander training in any way, talking with administration as best as possible and keeping clear lines of communication are important. So not trying to shield things, also not trying to solve the world's problems by yourself. Like there's a community of people that are willing to help you and to understand at a young age that collaboration can sometimes be key to success, even when it feels like you're handing over credit or handing over responsibility when really there's others that are trying and willing to, to be a part of the solution with you. I mean, I don't think any campus would ever say it's it's easy, right? Like, I don't think anyone can define like when you do a values-based assessment and getting to know people as people and asking them to trust you with their identity is easy. I think it it takes time, it takes energy, it takes building foundations and institutionalization, right? So while you might start the the conversations with those that are first years entering into an institution to set the tone of here's where we are with our culture, it might be two, three years before you really get someone to open up and have a conversation that's constructive in a way to make change. And so I think institutions are also doing it differently, right? Like it depends if you're a two-year, four-year based in a center like you all are with the Madison Center or if you are a singular staff member that's like, I do democratic participation as in other duties as assigned, but really my portfolio contains X, Y, and Z. So I think there's nuances within campus structures. I do think... Though those that have long-term gains, and it's not just that episodic endeavor of like we checked a box and, and hosted a dialogue forum and then never went back to it, 
like that doesn't sustain change in those campuses you'll see over time tend to have um, culture shifts. That means there's a lot of transition between where their students are, if they are, you know, the same within retention and graduation rates, if they are high or low registration and turnout rates. Um, but those that have sustained culture tend to be the ones that perform better. They tend to be the ones for all in that, you know, have done action planning over time. Those action plans have improved in scores. Those that have registration rates that started somewhere in 2016 and those have, again, improved over time to where we are in 2022. And same with those that have had a senior leader step up and say, I'm committed to giving space to this. And so I think it's complicated, um, but the campuses that are in it for the long haul tend to do better by their students than those that are trying to find a moment in time. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have a moment in time, right? Like a lot has happened in the last two years that I don't think anyone could have prepared us for between racial riots and unfortunate killings in different spaces and gun violence on campuses and a mass of things, a global pandemic, right? Like so much has happened that sometimes you need that moment in time to have a conversation around something that's happened. But we also need to prepare students with their toolkits so that they know how to have those conversations, whether it's in a structured setting or not. Adonis and Denise, Stephanie talks about solutions. Do you think debate can help promote a good environment? I think the value debate, you know, it's it's just you learn. I think it's making progress in any kind of way. If anything, it's affirming your belief. If anything, it's changing your belief. If anything, it's progressing your belief. Um, in times like these, I feel like there's less debating and more argue, like more arguments. I I think these days we tend not to want to challenge our ideas, or people don't like to get their ideas challenged, and it leads to a conflict. And I think you know, people mistake debating with arguing, or they think if someone's having a debate that they think that they're arguing because they have different views. Um, but I think debating really just, if anything, could bring us together. Like I can meet someone who I inherently disagree with, but maybe they taught me something that I never, they taught me, they showed me a different perspective that I've never seen before. I've showed them a different perspective that they've never seen before, how they view something, how I view something. So I think the value debate is just bringing different communities or groups together, individuals together um, by building on criticism, not being destroyed by criticism. Because I think criticism these days has a negative effect of we think of you're being criticized that, you know, you're being, your ideas are being devalued or destroyed. I think criticism can help build it up. You know, you got, you got to fall down to get back up. And I think that inherently goes into anything, especially in times like these, I think we need it more than ever. I think if anything, there's a lack of debating and more arguing. And I think we need more debating um, to be able to progress and unite more. I think debate can impact, you know, these discussions on campus very uh, positively because, you know, in debate, in order to have a debate, you're going to have to have a, a side that is, um, you know, uh, negating the other side. Um, so, you know, you're someone will have to take, you know, a, um, you know, a kind of opposing side. So that means, you know, you're open to more, um, you know, different discussions and 
being like, okay, well, maybe this isn't, you know, this, this debate, I'm not, it's not going to be so personal to me because this is, you know, a, a, a side that I will have to take, whether that side may actually correlate with your own views or correlate with someone else's. And they might even be views that are completely different from your own. But I think at least uh, debate for me has helped me a lot um, see, you know, both sides to things and to be able to, you know, properly assess, you know, a question or, you know, a possibility or a situation and be like, okay, well, I see what's given to me here, but, you know, what else is the kind of, you know, um, what are other factors to that? What are other things I have to consider? Um, so I think debate personally for me has helped me be a lot more of a critical thinker and to be able to consider, um, you know, different possibilities and, you know, be very open to different um, kinds of views uh, because there are always, you know, other arguments that you can find that support that view, um, which, you know, in turn helps me a lot be a critical thinker. So I think, you know, debate definitely has that kind of um, possibility to open up, um, you know, different sides of discussions and to produce more, you know, critical thinking skills. We have one last question for you, Stephanie. What would you do to strengthen democracy? I feel like that's the toughest question you could ever ask me, Jason. <laughs> I feel like in, in my tenure, I've, I've worked at college campuses. And I've been very fortunate to learn a lot from folks. I've also had the privilege of working you know, at associations, which gives you that 30,000 foot view of what are a variety of contexts doing to help strengthen civic programs, strengthen political ideologies, strengthen civic ethos on college campuses. And I, I struggle to find that answer, if I'm being honest. I also think about my own purview, right? Like my job is built on the tenets of helping campuses institutionalize civic learning and democratic engagement. I serve on my local governing board. I've been a poll worker for six years now. I donate to all the organizations that I think will help the world. I do our best to raise an anti-racist baby with my partner and reading all the books and trying to do all the things. And I still grapple with what's the right answer to strengthen democracy, even though I would think if someone looked at our lives from, again, their own 30,000 of you, they'd be like, the kings really got it together. But I still don't know. And when I try to think about what's the best thing to do, the thing I have is just to be there for your neighbor. Like, be there for your community. Like, show up in ways that you might not think are important, but might have lasting impacts, right? Like, we will encourage our child to shovel the neighbor's driveway, to give dollars where he can, to see value in service, to see value in giving instead of getting, and just hope that we can raise the next generation of people that, frankly, give a damn in ways that I never thought possible. And so hopefully that's helpful, like, just to show up for someone and do it with an open heart and an open mind. But I'm also willing to learn. And if others have ideas that are listening in, like feel free to drop me a line and be like, Stephanie, you forgot to do X. And I will take you up on that and try and figure out how I can incorporate X into my life. Um, but really just hoping that people can show up and maybe that'll make a difference in strengthening our democracy. I should also say that I vote, like that's a thing. I think that goes without saying, but <laughs> we are there too. Uh, we write our representatives, like we, we do all the things that if you had a textbook, you would say, I think they're doing it right. But I still think the greatest thing we can do is just show up with an open heart. Thanks, Stephanie, for coming on Democracy Matters. We appreciate the work that All In does for universities and colleges in supporting students participating in democracy. 
and a big thanks to JMU's Madison Debate Society and debate team for supporting critical discussion on campus. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Leah Surabell, Democracy Fellow for Communications in the Madison Center for Civic Engagement. Jason Witted, Democracy Fellow for the Madison Center, is the co-host and production assistant. Billy McKeon, Campus Vote Democracy Fellow, Parker Boggs, Democracy Fellow, and Annika Thompson, the first-year research experience student for the Madison Center, provided research and production assistance for this episode. Randy Bundekus, JMU Director of Digital Marketing, provides syndication for the program. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can connect and engage with us online at JMU Civic on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at jmu.edu slash civic. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.